I love that old hymn. It, it is one of my all-time favorite um, hymns, and um, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this series that we've been doing as we have marched through um, these seven churches in Revelation. And I think all of it comes down to just, do I surrender? You know, uh, when when it comes down to our faith, when it comes down to actually being different, be, being being looked at and being acting, thinking, talking, and everything different from what the world, those who don't know Christ and those who do know Christ, it comes down to the fact of, do I surrender? Do I surrender to God's way, or do I want to keep doing it my way? And, and I think it, that, that seems pretty simple, but, but that's what we've been talking about for weeks now um, as we are just finishing up this. And so I, I've enjoyed this, and so I pray this morning. I'm kind of sad that we're, we're ending it because I've enjoyed it so much, and um, it's, it's made me want to go on a tour, one of those tours of where the seven churches are and, and, and do all that. But just to, to help you to remember where we're talking about, um, again, um, we're talking about modern-day Turkey, and, and so we have kind of traveled this circle um, all, all the way around through Turkey. You see Patmos, that's where John was exiled and stuff, but we talked about Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and, and this morning we end at Laodicea, and, and Laodicea, and I, I just want to warn you, this is a toe-stepping message. Um, so I hope you brought steel-toed shoes because I, I have been convicted all week as I've just been reading this and, and studying it and everything. Because Laodicea, man, there are issues um, that I think pertain today more than any of the uh, other churches. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. <coughs> Excuse me. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available spread out around you. Just grab one of those. If you don't own one, put your name in that. Take that. That's a gift from us. If you have an electronic device, you can sign into our Wi-Fi, GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, and you can follow along there. Um, but as always and forever, these are the only words that matter. Uh, this is the only reason I get to get up every Sunday morning and, and preach. This is the only reason we get to meet as a church is because of these words and these words alone. And so out of respect and kind of acknowledgement of the power of these words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me. As we read about the church in Laodicea, Chapter 3, starting at verse 14, <clears throat> John writes this. He says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you, would either, that, would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you this morning to once again just to have the privilege of opening up your word. God, to hear from you once again. Father, thank you that you have brought us all here. You knew every person 
that would be here this morning. God, you know exactly what needs to be said. God, you know exactly what needs to be done. And so, Father, I pray, I ask that these words would be your words and not mine. God, that your spirit would just would flow and move. God, that you would take your word, Father. We stand upon the promise that your word never comes back void. God, and that you use it to change, to pierce hearts, God, to transform us. And Father, so that's what we pray this morning. Father, have your way. God, may you give us ears to hear, give us hearts to respond. And may we have the courage to live it out, outside these walls, Father, for we are your church, not this building. May we be different because we were here this morning. God, we love you, we praise you, and again, we give you all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, Laodicea, it's a little bit different, and it's a little bit different take, but each week I try to, I want to give you kind of like an understanding of the culture and understanding what's going on in the city, and, and Laodicea, man, that was, it was a special city. In, in fact, Laodicea City probably was one of the richest city in all of the empire, of the Roman Empire. I mean, it was, it was just, it, was, it abounded with, um, with um, stuff like banks, and it had a great, um, they manufactured fine clothes. They even had their own medical school there. And so it was, it was just wealthy, wealthy city. If you just think of an area, you know, Rodeo Drive, Hollywood, or, or someplace, Madison Avenue, just someplace where you think where, man, it's just all the rich people live, that's Laodicea. Um, they they just had it made and everything and, and it just and it just came easy for them. But but it's also interesting. I see the church was founded by a guy named um, Epaphras. And if you know Acts or you know the story of Paul, or Paul mentions Epaphras that he founded this church in Laodicea. And so and so um, you, you know that Paul trained Epaphras. Paul came and, and you know even some of his letters were sent and read there. And he had a great heart for this. And so you think, man, what what a great church! A church started by Paul. Man, that's got to be a good church. But out of all the churches that we have mentioned and all the churches we have gone through, Laodicea has the severest rebuke of all the churches. In every other church that, that we have looked at, it has always been persecution from the outside or persecution from the inside. But in Laodicea, we're going to find out that it is God himself that is coming against this church. That it is not, it's not outside influence, it's not inside influence, it, it's the church itself. And, and so that makes Laodicea a lot different, the severest condemnation of any of the churches that we read about. And so, so let, let's look at that. Let's look what's going on. First, the greeting. I, I love, as I said, each of these churches, Christ greets the church. And, and yet with Laodicea, it's a little bit different from any of the other churches. Look at verse 14. And it says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Every other church that we talked about, every other church we've gone through, if you go back to chapter 1, weeks and weeks ago, if you were here, when we talked about where, where John just got the vision and we begin this, that they, he always uses kind of um, symbolism and titles from chapter 1. Not with Laodicea. There's no tie back. And in fact, he just says, I am the amen. And by the way, all that means is I am the God of truth. 
I am the one that is reliable. I am the one that you can hold on to. I am the one that always keeps his promises. I am the one that always takes control. I am the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. What we're seeing here is Jesus saying, not only am I the faithfulness, I am also the authority. I'm the one that created everything. I'm the one that created this church and every church. I'm the one that everything that you have, everything that you breathe, everything you look at, I made. And I not only made it, I maintain it. I sustain it. I am in control, and I am the ultimate authority of all things here. And what's interesting to me, as we will see as we keep going through this, is there's a huge contrast between the faithfulness of Christ and the unfaithfulness of his church. Again, it's not talking about persecution anywhere else. It's talking about, I'm going to come against you because there's unfaithfulness within this church and everything. And so Jesus is making sure that there's no doubt. I, I am the judge. You know, I, I think so often we get so worried about what other people think and what other people are going to say and what other people are going to do, where in the end there's only one judge. There's only one person we're going to have to stand before. And there's only one person that has the ability, the right to judge us for the way we live our life. And so Laodicea is about to, <laughs> to face that. I know probably most of you have heard this word before, lukewarm, and, and we know that it's a negative thing, but listen to the charge against them. And starting at verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works. Again, I know what you've been doing. I know what you've been struggling. I know where you've been. I know where you're going. I know all your works, but you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were luke lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's pretty harsh right there. And what it, what it is is kind of this picture. Outside of Laodicea, there were kind of some hot springs. But at the same time, there was a very cool water system that kind of came through. And so in, in this time, people would look at hot water was water that would kind of heal. It, it had healing properties. And so if there were hot springs, a lot of people would go to wherever their cities are. If they had disease or infirmity, they would go to the hot springs to find relief. Cold water is something that gives kind of relief. You know, if you're on a hot day, have you ever been like really hot, been working out in the yard and everything, and you just got that ice bottle water, and it's just got, you know, it's all dripping off, and you just take that, and you're like, ah. And so there's a great usefulness for hot water. There's a great usefulness for cold water. But the problem is, is lukewarm water, the only thing it does is make you sick. <coughs> in fact, in this time, it was literally used to make people I'm being a little graphic. It makes people vomit. And that's exactly what Christ is saying here. He says, because you're not hot, because you're not cold, but you're lukewarm, literally, you're making me sick. I literally want to vomit you out of my mouth. And I mean, that, I mean it's, it's gross, but it shows the severity of what's going on in here. In fact, it, it amazes me. If you look at it, he says, you know, would that you were either cold or hot. Absolute rejection is better in the eyes of God than someone faking it. I, I, I want you to hear that because I think this is, is a struggle that we're having in our churches right now. I, I think culturally we sit here and say, um, not as much, but there were days past, it was like, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. My mom and daddy were Christians. They went to church, so I'm a Christian. I, I just want to tell you, where you're born, who your parents are, what your birthright is, all that stuff is not what makes you a follower of Christ. And we have churches full of people that are sitting there just saying, I can, you know, I'm going to fake it till I make it. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, I would rather you just totally reject me. I used to get in trouble with parents as a youth pastor because I would tell kids, listen, if you're going to live for Jesus, live all your heart out. But if you're going to sin, be the best sinner you can be. But don't play that middle ground. I, I think that's where confusion has come in. That's, what, that's where like, people have looked at the church and say, well, you know, we, we saw it. The church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. And we got plenty of room for more. But they don't live the way. You know, they say they're a follower of Christ, but then I see them do this, I see them do that. And it breaks my heart. I, I used to tell my students all the time, says, says, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be the best student. doesn't mean you're straight A's, but you're the best student. You're not the one messing around. You're not the one fooling around. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to best be the best employee or employer. Every part of your life needs to match and see because it, it really comes down to the part is like, am I hot? Am I surrendered? Or am I not? And I honestly think Laodicea didn't even know. See, that's the problem with lukewarmness is we get comfortable. You know, I want that temperature just right. Not too hot, not too cold. This is not Goldilocks. <laughs> And yet we, we want kind of just, I'm, I'm good with one foot in glory, but one foot staying back over here, and it doesn't work. I, I think that's why so many people today are just leaving the church, because they've realized, like, I never really knew Jesus to begin with, so why keep faking it? Because it's so exhausting. But I'm telling you, there are people on this planet, there are people that are going to go through life that just have this idea that, listen, I went to church, I gave money, I went on mission trips, I did all kinds of stuff, and so yes, yes. Jesus knows me, and I, I'm a Christian, and yet uh, those people are going to stand for Jesus, and he's going to say, I never, ever knew you. Because it's not about what you do, it's about who you know. There's a difference about knowing about Jesus and actually knowing him. And I think that line is being drawn in our culture and in our world today. That there are people that you're going to be able to tell, either I'm a follower of Christ or I'm not, and there's nothing in between. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus warns us about this. Look at it. He says, not everyone, in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew for you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a scary day. That's a scary thought that we could stand for the Lord, our creator, and everything, and for him just say, man, but I did all this stuff. I went to church. I gave money. I was a nice person. That's why in Romans it says our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. And there are too many people walking through their faith trying to live off of self-righteousness instead of his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin that I would become the righteousness of God. It is nothing that I do. It is nothing that I say. It is nothing I could ever think of or accomplish. It is grace that I have received. And I know him. I don't just know about him. And unfortunately, there's so many that just keep going through. And I think that's what's happening in Laodicea. This church is like, well, yeah, the church started. We're all here together. We're gathering. Everything looks the part. Everything looks good. 
But the problem is it's not. We, we are commanded, Jesus says, not everyone who calls me, but the one who does the will of my Father. What's the will of God? Very simple. If you don't know the will of God for your life, I'm going to tell it to you right now. If you have struggled with the will of God for your life, I'm going to let you know. It's very, very simple. Love God, love people, and go tell the story. That is the will of God. Spread his kingdom, spread his gospel, love people the way that God loves them. Stop looking at them and say, well, they're not good enough, or I don't like them, because God loves all. When Jesus said, I came into the world to save all, that all men, the cosmos, everything. And then loving God with all our heart means that it's not just a one day a, one day a week thing. There are too many Christians, there's too many claim to be Christians that come, and the only time they worship is when they sing some songs on Sunday morning. And I think God looks at that and says, but you're lukewarm. Worship is an act that happens every single day when we're out there. Worship is not just singing songs. It is living a life that points to God, no matter what the cost, no matter what's going on in our life. It is pointing to God. That is worship, showing God's worth for us. And so that is a follower of Christ. I love one of my, one of my favorite modern authors is a guy named Francis Chan. And he always asks this question. He says, how come if the goal of Christianity, of following Christ, the goal of that is to look like Jesus, how come there are so many people that say they follow Christ but don't look anything like him? A disciple is someone that starts and begins and continues to look more and more like Jesus. That's what a follower of Christ is. You know, I, I'm I'm have a little campaign. We use that word Christian, and yes, it's in the Bible, and it was used as a cut down. But we've made it such just a title instead of a way of life. It's why I always say, "Are you a follower of the Rabbi? Are you a follower of Jesus?" Because there's a difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. See, see, the will of God, the will of God for us is that we would be conformed to the image of his son that we would start looking like jesus and when people see people look like jesus they understand that man there is something different when people know that you are loving jesus and you're following him falling hard not that you're perfect not that you you do everything right and you never miss a devotion or you never get mad or you don't hold on this isn't about being perfect this is about the perfect one making us perfect and conforming us to that image and so every day people look at us and they say I don't know what it is, but there's something different. There's something different. And there are too many churches and too many Christians that people look at today and they say, I don't see any difference. That's what this is all about. In fact, Paul says this. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Look like him, act like it as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And the greatest compliment you could ever get is someone that imitates you. And the greatest worship we can ever do is to imitate God, to imitate Jesus, to live like that, to love like that. I think that's what the world is desperately looking for. They're saying, is there a difference? Is there, is there something more to this than just showing up at a church and singing some songs? Is there something more to this life? Is, is there hope? Is there purpose? Is there, is there joy? Is there peace? And that, all that should be in us. As we look more and more like Jesus, and I love it, it says Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Listen, I'm, I'm a proud person. I will confess that. 
I am a proud person. I am proud of my kids. I am proud of my wife. I am proud of my life. And, and I'm a proud person. Sometimes God's like, you know, let me knock you down a little bit. But I was, a, I was raised in a, like a good old southern home. You know, my daddy was a West Virginia hillbilly. He's like, son, you got to be a man. You got to stand up. You, you got to do that. Don't let anybody walk over you. And I used to hear that in church. It says, God's never called you to be a, a, a mat for people to walk over. But I don't agree with that anymore. I think whatever it takes, if it means someone has to walk all over me, despise me, hurt me and stuff, but they see the gospel, because that's what my Jesus did. The creator of everything, who did not consider equality something with God to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a man. So how dare me say, well, I'm not going to let people walk all over me. When that's exactly what they did to my Jesus. We have to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. See, we love, you know, there's that prayer, Paul's prayer. My wife hates it when I pray it because I'm like, God, I want to know the power of your resurrection, Lord. I want to know the power. We like that part, but the other half of that is in the fellowship of your suffering. And can I tell you something? Sometimes suffering brings about more good than riches and wealth could ever. God uses that to shape us and mold us. I, I, I was reading today in my devotion, I was reading and just reminded about Job, where Job says, God, you know my ways, and when you're done and you've completed it, I'll be refined as gold. God uses that to refine us and to shape us. And so don't, don't shy away from trouble. Don't shy away from hardship. Don't shy. Just look into it and say, God, what are you refining in me right now? And thank you that you love me enough to do that. See, I, I, think, I think also, I see they had just the wrong perspective, and, and we need a much different perspective. We need to start seeing things as God sees them in our lives and in the world around us. Look at verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the, sh and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The problem is, is in the church in Laodicea and in so many churches, we look around and we say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. We've got big buildings, we've got big budgets, we've got, we got all kinds of programs going, it's all good. But is anybody getting saved? <laughs> is any lives being changed? Is the world a better place? That would, would Four Corners, if, this, if our doors closed, would Four Corners say, man, I'm so sad that Grace Baptist is gone. Because it did so much for our community. Are we making an impact where we would be missed? But we say, no, we're fine, we're good, we're rich, we need nothing. And then the fact is, we need everything. Everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you are, is from God and for God. We need everything. We don't even breathe unless God. Did you know if God just for a moment stopped thinking about you, you would cease to exist? That it is God that sustains. It is Christ that gives everything, and we need everything. I, I love that he sits there and goes, you think you're rich, but you're poor. Remember what I told you about Laodicea? Banks everywhere. 
wealth everywhere. And he says, you have all this wealth around you. And I said, we still live in a country that is the wealthiest country on the planet. Listen, if you had food this morning, you are better off than 80% of the people in the world. If you are wearing shoes, you're better off than 85% of the people in this world. We are rich. And we look around and we see the prosperity. He says, you're rich. You have all these banks. You have everything, but you're poor because you've invested in the wrong things. You know, I told you they had a medical school right there in Laodicea. People would come from all areas to come and learn to treat, and yet they couldn't heal their blindness. They were still blind. And then finally, the, the clothing. They made the finest clothes. In fact, they had a black wool there that it was renowned for all over. And I love that Jesus says in 18, I count you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Invest in my stuff. Invest in my kingdom because that's going to stay. Not in the economy here. Not in these banks. That's not rich. What you invest in me is going to last for eternity. So that you may be rich. And then he says, but I'm going to give you white garments. Not those fine black robes that they're making here. But I'm going to give you white garments. I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to give you holiness. I'm going to make you different. Stop clothing yourself with what the world gives you and say, this is what I need to look like. This is what I need to act like and start living the way that I made you to live. And then let me help you see. It's a different perspective. When we look at our stuff and we look at everything around us and all we see is like, this is what I have. This is what I have. By the way, when you start using that word I an awful lot, that should be a red flag. Look what I can do. Look what I have. Look what I've accumulated. Look what I'm wearing. Look where I live. Look where I've done this. Because none of this is about you. We were created for one purpose only, and that's the purpose to give God glory. Not us. And that's what a follower does. He points to them. He points to God. See, God's calling us to say, listen, get real wealth. Get righteousness. Because those are the things that are going to last when all of this goes away. I don't know how many of you were here when, when, when all the housing market crashed and all those fancy houses and all that great investment and people buying things they couldn't afford and all that stuff. And, and in a moment, boom, this was the fourth worst hit place in the country for um, foreclosures on houses. See, when we invest in that stuff, there is no stability. But when we invest our lives, our resources, and everything into God, that goes with us forever and eternity. We need a different perspective of our lives. And and the only remedy is Jesus. The only remedy that we have is Jesus when he says, listen, buy gold from me. Let me clothe you. Let me help you see. I can fix all of this. You don't have to fix yourself. I'll fix it. I'll clothe it, but but even in that, with how bad this church is and how bad is it, God still loves, Jesus still loves, and he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Some of us are going through hard times and struggles because we're not focusing on God. Listen, if God brings that rod, be thankful because he loves you enough to bring that rod. If you're not getting any discipline in your life, I can tell you right now, you and I don't know the same God. See, I remember sitting in a room with a young man and his father, and the father looking, and they were having all kinds of issues. And the father saying, I don't know what's going on. We love our son. We, we give him everything. We take care of him. We provide for him, and we love him, and we love him. And every time that dad said, I love him, that kid would just tense up. 
And so finally I said, Dad, can you step out for a minute? I'd just like to talk to your son. I said, what's going on? I mean, obviously the, he, he loves you and everything. He said, my dad doesn't love me. If my dad loves me, he wouldn't let me go out and drink all night. If my dad loves me, he would ground me or spank me or do something and stop me from being stupid. If my dad loved me, your dad loves you enough that he will stop you, whatever it takes. God loves you enough that he will put things in your life. Now, not everything we go through is discipline. We live in a broken world. Like I said, God uses brokenness and all that stuff in us to shape us. But when we stray, when we keep wondering, God out of love will reach out and say, Nuh-uh. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been knocked on my back so I finally look at him. And I am so thankful that he loves me enough. That's tough love. We have a world that needs tough love. We, we need preachers. We need churches that stand upon the truth. And it isn't going to bend. It's not going to tickle ears. It's not going to say what people want to hear, but say what's in God's word. And I promise you, as long as I'm here, that's what's going to happen here. Until the day they drag me out of here, that's what's going to happen here. And we, we have a deal. If there are two people here, we still have church. Come on Sunday night. Sometimes there's just three of us. I'm like, we're still having church. <laughs> because we're going to speak this truth, and we're, we're going to keep doing that because that's what we stand upon. Because this is the, these are the words that change everything. Not some self-help program. God's discipline is coming to this planet. I promise you, for those of you that are in our study of Revelation, you are seeing that. And yet, in all of that craziness and that horrible stuff that's happening in Revelation, every time God does that, it's still a cry out says, I want you just to know me. God loves us enough to do whatever it takes for us to pay attention to him. But unfortunately, there will be many, many that don't. And then all of a sudden, there's a change. And probably one of the most recognized verses in the Bible. There's a change. All, all these three chapters, all these churches, he's been, he's been talking about the church. And then verse 20, there's a little change there. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Listen, if you believe for an instant that there's any, on, any person on this planet that's not redeemable, then you and I aren't reading the same words. He says, if anyone, I'm knocking, I'm knocking on that door and I will continue to knock. And if anyone opens that door, if anyone will just say, come on in, then I'm going to come in. It doesn't matter where you're from. That's what I love about the church. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter how much is in your bank account. It doesn't matter because it's anyone. Anyone can come. But we have to open the door. Do you notice that? He says, I knock, but you have to open. And, and he goes on. He says, I'll come in and I'll eat with him. I don't, we don't do this as much in our culture anymore but it used to be the family meal was so important remember those days where you sat around the table my kids we drove them crazy because we would have one meal a day all of us we're going to sit at the table we're going to talk and i would ask them how your day is and they would go fine i'm like why was it fine well it was good well then why was it good and then so i started asking questions did you meet a boy did you kiss a boy did a boy kiss you did you hold a boy's hand did a boy's hand hold you and then finally they're just like that i'll tell you what happened today i was like then tell me but there's this sense that when we are dining together, there's this familiarity, there's a relationship. See, Jesus comes in not to just like say, okay, I'm in you, you're good, good luck. 
He wants a relationship. It's not a religion. Religion defined as man's attempt to reach God. Christianity defined as God's ability to reach us. That is a relationship, and that's what he wants with us. In fact, the Greek word here is, if I say this right, dip now, dip now, is when he says, I'll come and eat. That, that was the main meal. That was the meal when you sat down and there was no rush. There was no hurry, like hurry up and eat and get back to work. This was in the evening. Everyone sat down and they just talked and there was family and there was a relationship. That's what Jesus says. If you open that door, that's what I want. I want to sit. I want to talk to you. I want to find out about your day. What are you struggling with? What are you hurting with? I want to know everything. Share it all. No rushing. There was no fast food. <laughs> it was sit down. We lived in Italy. We lived in Italy for a number of years as missionaries. And I remember our landlord one day, it was like New Year's, and it was like a blessing because they're like, Pastore lives above us. Pastore, we are blessed. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> but he's like, they brought us down to dinner. That dinner lasted like seven hours. <laughs> I mean, just meal, uh, it was so good, man, just course after course. But it literally lasted like seven hours, and all we did was talk and share and do that. And that's what Jesus says, when you open that door, when I knock and you respond to that, man, that's, I want that relationship. Isn't that nice? Isn't it amazing to you? Doesn't it just, like, overwhelm you to think that the creator of everything wants to hang out with you? He's never too busy. He's never too worried or hurried someplace else. He wants to hang out with you. Not because your parents went to church. Not because you grew up someplace. Because he made you. And he died for you. He wants to hang out with you. That's what changes us when we have those moments. My wife and I were talking again this morning about those moments that God gives you. And if you notice, all, often all these churches, Jesus keeps saying, remember. Remember when. Remember this. And so those moments where you just knew that God was so close and so near. By the way, he's never far. God never leaves. I said, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am always there. You just may not recognize it. You may, you may just be in a place that you don't understand, but there's never a prayer that hits the ceiling and pops down because his spirit is inside of you. You are sealed, and he is always with you as a follower of Christ, and he just wants to hang out with you. I can't even imagine what the garden was like. Could you imagine that? Adam just walking through the garden. God just shows up like, hey, what's up? You want to go skateboarding? Let's, just, you know, let's go. I just, I just pick it. God just saying like that. I just want to be with you. And it's such a beautiful picture. And if we, I think if we get that, then we'll be different. But God loves you, and God is a gentleman enough that he is never going to force himself on you. There's a great painting. I don't, I don't know if you can see it real well. Uh, this is St. Paul's Cathedral. In, in London, and I've seen this painting, and it's a beautiful, beautiful painting, and it denotes that passage, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <clears throat> it's called Light of the World, and it hangs in this beautiful cathedral, and basically it's the story of Jesus knocking on the door, and it's like a little kind of like shepherd's hut or like a gardener's hut. It's nothing fancy, nothing special. Vines are overgrowing it, and I don't know if you can see it and you notice, but you see Jesus knocking, but there's no handle on the outside of the door of that painting. And when it was first made, 
the people's like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh, you made a mistake. You didn't put a hand on the door. And so the, the painter said, no. No, I didn't, I didn't make a mistake. Is that Jesus will never force his way in. The handle's on the inside. The invitation always comes from the outside. The invitation always comes from God. He's the one that starts it, but it is us that has to open the door. It's nothing that you do. It's nothing that you say. It's nothing, nowhere you've been. It's about that invitation, and it always comes from God. It always, Jesus even said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. And so as the Father draws them, you hear that knock, but it's up to you to open the door. What a great reminder. Jesus will never bust his way in. We have to open the door. And that's the invitation. And once we do that, man, once we actually actually really do that with all sincerity, with a true heart and saying, God, I understand. I don't want to do things my way anymore. I want to do them your way. I want to know you. I want to be known by you. And, 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 and I want to grow in you. And, and then something happens. Verse 21, it says, the one who conquers... The one who has let me in, the one who is following me, the one who is living like me, becoming more like me, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love this. We overcome not because we're strong enough, smart enough, rich enough or anything. We overcome because Jesus overcame. We conquer because he has already conquered he gets all the credit. We get to sit with him. I get a picture. I remember when my kids were little and stuff, and my favorite time of the day is when my little girls would come and climb up on their daddy's lap. That's my picture of heaven on that day when Jesus says, you did it, you made it, because I did it for you. Now climb up here on my lap. What a beautiful picture. But we conquer because he conquers. Listen, you are going to face troubles in this world, I promise you. Any pastor that gets in front of you and says, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be rosy, I'm telling you, leave. Because it ain't true. It ain't true. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but praise God, I have overcome. Don't worry about it. I've already overcome it, but you're going to face trouble. You're going to face trials. There's going to be some things that are going to be because of choices that you make. There's going to be a lot of things that's because we live in a broken, fallen world, and you're going to face tragedy, and you're going to face heartache, and you're going to face all that stuff in this world. I'm sorry. That is the cost of sin on this planet. We don't like that word, but that is the fact, that we chose to do things our way instead of God's way, and this is what happens to the world. Things like Miami, things like other schools, things like all the atrocities are happening. It happens because we live in a broken, fallen world, and we're going to face those things. But can I tell you something? I don't want to ruin the story. I don't want to ruin the ending for you, especially those that are in the study on Tuesday nights. But I just, just listen to me real quick. We win. We win. 
every trial, every tribulation, every struggle, everything, it all comes together. We win because at the end, this is what happens. In Revelation 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. My favorite verse in the Bible. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can count on it. That he will make everything new. But the question is, this morning for each of us, as I said at the beginning of this, this is about surrender. This is about us saying, God, I want to do it your way, not my way anymore. It's not about singing the right songs or going to the right church or giving away enough money. It is about knowing the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the savior of all. And on that day, my only question for us this morning is will he know you? It doesn't matter what you do. It matters who you know and who knows you. That's the only thing that matters. God will do everything else. We will be different if we surrender. We will be changed if we surrender. And the world will see that he is trustworthy, that he is true, that there is a better way, even in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and all of it. That's what it means to be a different church. Church, let's be hot or let's be ice cold, but we will not sit in the middle. My heart is we burn. You know, there's an old Baptist saying, people will drive miles to see a church on fire. I think God has placed us here at this time for such a time as this, for this reason, that there's a community that needs to see Jesus, but they can't see him if we don't know him. Let's be different. Let's be hot. Let's be conquerors because he is conquered. Let's pray.